In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Silos. And I'm Michael Bloom. And you know, Michael, I just hit my head really hard. Oh, like, no. I, I'm concerned. I feel like I need to very quickly orient myself to reality. Okay. So could you ask me a few reality check questions? Um, absolutely. Um, well, let's start off. What's your name? Uh, my name is Nathan. Okay, great. Um, okay. Who is the president of the United States? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm having trouble with that one. Let me here. Let me pull up my phone real quick. Sure. 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 Let's see. Google. Yeah. Who is the president of the United States? Man, you must have hit your head. That's, that's terrible. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, what? It's not Donald Trump. It's what Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. We are saved. <laughs> Emphasis wow. on the not Donald Trump. Google, yeah. you had me at not Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Woo! What a day. What a day. Yes. We, fi- we oh made my it. God. 20th it. of January, 2021. Yes. The first day of the Biden presidency. The first yes. day of the not Trump presidency. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Dude, I. It happened. I, I am so excited. I there was no I had one a, I had weird a long trick work that day, enabled but still, him. it just yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know, a part of me does feel a little bit of satisfaction at all of the people on the internet that have been like, no, no, dude, dude, Trump's gonna be sworn in. We yeah. know it because like, because like, here's why: because there's this law that I don't understand that I copy and pasted from cons- yeah. some conspiratorial site <laughs> that totally explains that Trump's going to be the president. Yeah. The, the flag they used at the inauguration actually has the stripes in the wrong alternating order. And so that means that it's not a legitimate <laughs> inauguration. And so Trump is still president. <laughs> That's in the constitution. Uh, so if you haven't guessed today, we are definitely going to spend some time celebrating the fact that Donald Trump is no longer president. Uh, First, with that, we are going to discuss the Biden inauguration as well as some of the executive orders. Uh, Then we're going to spend some time discussing minimum wage, uh, do another minimum wage segment. And finally, we are going to have a very special asshat segment, asshat of my life. And you'll never (laughs) guess who the asshat of my life is going to be. You just have to wait for the third segment to find out. You'll just have to wait. You'll never yeah, guess. You'll never knows. guess. You'll never guess. Yeah. <laughs> Bigly. Bigly. <laughs> um, but before we get into some of the more positive stuff, Michael, what are the COVID numbers? Okay. So worldwide, 97.2 million people have gotten COVID which is up from 92.7 million people last week, which is a 4.9% increase or about 4.5 million new cases, which is actually slower, um, of an, less of an increase than we've seen in the past few weeks. So that's good. Um, so far, 
2.08 million people in the world have died from COVID, which is up from 1.98 million last week, which is about 100,000 new deaths this week, or a 5% increase in total deaths. In the U.S., 25 million people have gotten COVID. We have hit that mile marker, um, which is up from 23.6 million last week. So that's about 1.4 million new cases, or about 200,000 cases a day, um, which is actually a less of an increase um, than, than the week before. So it's still heinous and incredibly high, just, just mm. ridiculously high, but, but, you know, at least a little slower than, you know, the incredibly deadly and contagious week a couple weeks ago. Um, so far, uh, 415,000 people have died from COVID. Uh, which is up from 393,000 last week. Um, so we we hit we crossed over that 400,000 mark by by a good bit um, since our last episode. Um, so that's 22,000 new deaths this week, or about uh, 3,100 deaths per day. So again, a little bit lower than than the week before, but still unacceptably high. Still still basically a 9/11 every single day. Um, so far, on, on a little bit of a brighter note, the U.S. has vaccinate, vaccinated 4.8% um, of the eligible population, which is pretty amazing. Um, still slower than it needs to be because we're still 65 to 75% behind herd immunity, so a lot yeah. like a significant ways to go. Um, but we have provided the most vaccine, vaccines of, of any country in the world at this point, um, even though we're still in sixth place in terms of uh, vaccination rate. So we, we, we are, you know, sixth place in terms of the infrastructure for actually getting our population vaccinated, um, even though we, we have got a ton of vaccines actually out there. Yeah. So mixed news this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, last week my highlight was the fact that uh, my wife had just received uh, her first dose of the vaccine. Um, and just this week, my parents received their first doses of the vaccine and I was, That's I was really awesome. worried about them as well. So I, that makes me very happy. Um, COVID is still a problem. It's still going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. I assume that when we do come back from, uh, the break that we're going to be taking after this episode, that it's still going to be a problem. Uh, however, there is some light. So, you know, hopefully maybe by the summer, uh, we'll be able to start coming, returning to to a semblance of of normal life. Of normalcy. Um, but but we shall we shall see. Yeah, absolutely. In the meantime, so uh, yeah, Joe Biden, he got inaugurated today as president <laughs> well. of the United States. Yeah, <laughs> it went well. There was uh, there were no explosions. I was, you know, I, yep. I know a lot of people were worried about that. I, I mean, I was pretty worried that people were going to try to do stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> luckily, there, there are 20,000 troops there at this point. So <laughs> not, a, not a great, not a great odds on, in, you know, uh, yeah. preventing the inauguration from taking place. <laughs> yeah. No, it. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about the overall message the substance and whether or not we think it was effectively communicated. Yeah. So if I took a shot every time I heard the word unity, <laughs> I would die. 
yeah, you'd be dead. Yeah, my, my um, so I did a little prediction before watching his inaugural address. Uh, I basically I made a, an outline of what I thought the address was going to be, and I was actually not. I was actually I was actually wrong. I expected there to be more in there than unity. <laughs> I uh, my my uh, outline was unity. Trump was bad. Time to get to work. Unity. And it turned yeah. out it was just unity, 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 unity. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm okay, I'm okay with, with that. Just not mentioning Trump. I agree. I actually thought um, that was a good move. Yeah. I it it seems that nobody mentioned Trump. Like yeah. there was definitely some sort of like hints at it, like, yeah. you know, oh, we're uh, we're going to restore our alliances throughout the world. Like mm-hmm. obviously that's a reference to the fact that the whole world hates Trump. Yeah. Well, but, I, think, I think he did a really know, good job like talking about the problems in the future. And the fact that he didn't list Trump as one of those problems, I felt yeah. was pretty powerful. Like a lot of the problems were a result of Trump and his leadership, or at least were exacerbated by him. Um, yeah. You know, he specifically called out, it seemed like his list of the big things was the pandemic, um, equal justice for all, climate change, and then domestic terrorism. Um, yeah. And and note that, like, a lot of those things have been made significantly worse under Trump. But he did remain yeah. focused on on his message, um, yeah. which, was, which was essentially the argument was basically we have got the hardest challenges in front of us right now that that have almost have probably ever faced this this country or or have faced this country in a long time and the only way we're going to be able to address them is by trying to work on these together that was that was his argument yeah and one of the things that i think needs to be emphasized like not necessarily by him by but by activists outside of it is when he says work together Mm -hmm we need to maintain that that doesn't necessarily mean working with elected Republicans. Mm -hmm. Sure. Oh yeah. You're right. Like we've talked about this on the pod before, but when it comes to policy, specific policy polling, the, the general public is overwhelmingly on the side of the left on most issues with some exceptions, but with most issues, Mm -hmm. I mean, just, just look at Florida. They passed a $15 an hour minimum wage at like, I think it was like 56, 57% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and still went, you know, and double they digits still voted, for Trump. Yeah, and they still, they still went for Trump. So when it comes to the actual policies, I think it does make sense to create this message of unity among the American people, because when it comes to the actual policies, most of the American people are actually together on it. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem that I think that Joe Biden often has is that he spent so much time in Washington that he actually thinks that the Republicans in Washington represent the Republicans in the country and Mm -hmm. the Democrats in Washington actually represent the Democrats in the country. Mm hmm. So one of the things that I think that we should do is not necessarily say, you know, no, Joe Biden, this isn't about unity. It should be like, yes, let's unify around the policies that we agree on. And mm-hmm. for the most part, those are progressive policies, raising yeah. the minimum wage, increasing health coverage, legalizing marijuana, although he's not for that. But yeah. 
At least decriminalizing. At least decriminalizing marijuana. So, so I think that's, that's one important thing that I think activists need to be focusing on. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. I think also it's important to note that like I've seen a couple of, you know, hot takes on social media and stuff pushing back on like, well, what do you expect us to be united with white supremacists? And like, no. No. Like, no. <laughs> he he his his message was about like trying to not demonize people, not assume that that the person everybody you disagree with has bad intent. And not, yeah. you know, not everyone that um, thinks that maybe fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage is too high hates the poor. You know, there are, like yeah. there are these are nuanced things. There are there are some arguments on on both sides, and and because someone is maybe more ignorant or or not convinced yeah. by certain reasoning doesn't necessarily mean that they're an evil person. And and thinking that they do, arguing that they do, discrediting them because they disagree with the perspective you have to Joe Biden's point, honestly, only shuts down the conversation. It, it yeah. closes the door to you convincing them that it's reasonable. Yeah. Now there are some people that are too far gone. Absolutely. And will never be convinced. Absolutely. And we've actually discussed that on the pod. We've actually discussed specific mechanisms that you can use in order to figure out if someone's too far gone. One of those being the defeasibility test. Simply mm -hmm. ask the person, Hey, Assuming I could present to you a set of facts that would change your mind, what would those have to be? Like, yeah. what would it take to change your mind? Yeah. And if the answer is nothing, well, then they've told you that they're too far gone, so there's no point in even trying. But I don't think that the number of people in the country are that high. Yeah. Like, I don't think the number of, uh, the, the percentage of people in the country that are too far gone is high enough to necessarily warrant shutting yourselves down mm -hmm. to people with with different opinions. Now, to Michael's point about the whole white supremacy thing, what we're trying to do is say that just because someone might have a specific view on a specific policy, that doesn't mean that they have, like they're a bad person, that they have bad intentions. Yeah. But if someone is a white supremacist, yeah, they're a bad person. And they have bad intentions. They have bad intentions. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So I, like, yeah. I, I think it's, it, I have no problem in, you know, in basically saying like, yeah, if you're a white supremacist, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to unify with you. Yeah. And this actually goes back to this idea, this, this philosophical idea that's referred to as the paradox of tolerance, mm -hmm. where basically there has to be a certain amount of intolerance in society of intolerance. Sure. Otherwise, when you tolerate intolerance, the intolerance takes over. And you and become it, an intolerant society. It becomes intolerable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know that that's convoluted, but I mean, think of it, think of it like this, you know, you're in a room with 10 people, you are very anti-racist mm -hmm. and there's one person in the room that's super racist. Yeah. And then they start spouting off their racist stuff and nobody in the room says anything. Yeah. Like nobody confronts them. Nobody, you know, nobody challenges them. Um, and, and, and they do this under the guise of, well, you know, that person has an opinion. We need to be tolerant of them. Mm -hmm. Um, eventually as they continue to talk without being challenged, yeah. they might convince somebody. Mm. And before you know it, that might become the majority view because you haven't challenged it. You haven't demonstrated, no, we are not okay with that. We are not going to tolerate that. Go fuck yourself. Sure. Yeah. To prevent, present a slightly different example. Think about like, like criminality, 
and freedom. Like in the in the U.S., we are tolerant of of most people's actions because we value freedom. Like you don't like yeah. your neighbor for for doing whatever they do, but you're tolerant because they're allowed to because only a small minority of activities are made illegal. But we are fully yeah. intolerant of those illegal activities. We yeah. we actively pursue and and condemn them. Um, and that's necessary. Without that intolerance, um, there would be no limitation on activity and, and everything would become an, an intolerable, you know, situation. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really great point. Also, like it's, it's, it's worth being nuanced on these issues. You know, like most people have biases and yeah. it's incumbent upon all of us to try to address those. Um, and to the extent that you're convinced that you don't have any biases, you're probably wrong and you should probably think about that. But, you know, having biases doesn't make you necessarily a, a, a horrible flaming racist. And it importantly, make you wrong. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It doesn't, that's a good point. And, and importantly, um, even if a system that you live in and, and probably and potentially prosper from is a racist system, participation in that system doesn't necessarily make you a racist either. So like the fact that um, we have systemic racism in the United States doesn't mean that every person in the United States who, who isn't, um, you know, trying to tear it all down in order to, to change that um, is like a racist. Now, again, there's important, it's important to be nuanced here. Like we should probably all be focusing on trying to address that we should probably all try to yeah. make this a better society better world like actively contribute to equality and things like that um but like shades of gray here yeah. are are really important and recognizing that someone with biases is not the same as the member of a ku klux klan um yeah. is is critically important yeah and those are often the people that you want to target the most with your persuasion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody wants to think of themselves as a racist. Of course not. And oftentimes when you do call someone a racist, they shut down. Yeah. Now, you might be correct on a lot of the factual arguments that you make. Sure. But that is probably going to shut down the conversation. And yeah. look, if you don't want to have a conversation, then, you know, like... By all means, just yeah, yeah. call them a sure. racist. It's not your responsibility to have a conversation yeah. necessarily. Yeah, and 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 I, and I would also I I would also you know make sure to make the point even more clear that it shouldn't necessarily be the responsibility of you know people that uh, people that are affected by yeah, racism, yeah. people that experience racism. I'm not trying to say that like yeah people not. that experience racism have a responsibility to be polite and massage the egos of white people. <laughs> um, in order to you know bring them to the side of being anti-racist. Yeah, of course. Um, in fact, what I, the the big argument that I want to make is that it is the responsibility of white people who practice who want to practice allyship. Yeah. To do that and to do it effectively. Yeah. You've got to be good at it, or you're or you're disadvantaging the people that you're trying to be an ally for. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and that's actually, you know, to bring up our old friend Larry, that was one of the points that he made when, mm. uh, uh, when, when we interviewed him a while back, um, which is that uh, if you are a white person uh, living in the United States, mm -hmm. 
it's your responsibility to not just not be racist, but to be anti-racist. Yeah. And the best way to bring more people over to the side of anti-racism is to be educational. Yeah. Yeah. Which is different from confrontational. Yeah. And it sucks sometimes. It's yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. And and one thing that I think is kind of interesting is as much as I often disagree with the ultimate policies and the ultimate conclusions that Joe Biden makes, I actually do think he does a pretty good job of like of speaking in a way that doesn't feel like he's talking down to you. Yeah. I agree. Like like when he when he explains his positions, when he explains the positions of other people, he does a good job of making it feel like, you know, I'm not some academic that's throwing a bunch of big words at, at mm. you. Um, I'm a grandpa who's explaining, who, who's discussing the ways of the world. Yeah. And, you know, he's often wrong. <laughs> but when he's right, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's a great approach. And I think that that was definitely present in in his speech. Now. Yeah. That being said, it wasn't the best speech I'd ever seen. That isn't to say it was a bad speech. Sure. But it wasn't like a life-changing speech that's going to change anybody's entire outlook. Mm-hmm. But it was solid. I yeah. mean, it was, I'd say it's it's the closest thing to what people want to hear at this time, as you can probably get. Yeah. Um, now... One of the funny things that I, I mentioned to, to my wife after watching it was I actually felt like the the preacher guy that did the benediction at the end of it mm. had more policy substance in his speech <laughs> than Joe Biden did. Yeah. But I care more about action than I do about rhetoric. And as soon as he finished this inauguration, he went to the White House and he signed more executive orders in his first day than the last three, four presidents combined. Mm. Like he signed 17 executive orders today. Wow. So, I mean... That's a lot for a half day's work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you're... And they're all good things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you so, mean he wasn't banning Muslims? Wow. That no, is, he wasn't. That Quite the huge. opposite, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Man, what I, an amazing thing to have a president that doesn't by fiat, like, <laughs> it, like impose his racist views on the laws of the United States. You know, you get, yeah. you, it's, yeah. it's, it makes you appreciate the little things. <laughs> Let's address some of the executive orders that President Joe Biden signed into law. All right. So he signed an executive order requiring that people wear masks on federal property. Um, he, launched a uh, 100-day masking challenge to encourage Americans to wear masks. Hmm. That's, I don't know if that has a lot of, I mean, that doesn't really have a lot of power, but, you know, it's a nice sentiment. Um, he reversed Trump's decision to remove the United States from the WHO, which is wonderful. That's huge. The idea that, hey, you know, we're in the middle of a giant fucking global pandemic. You know what we should do? Get out of the World Health Organization. (laughs) Dumbass. Um, He did an executive order which uh, created uh, the position of the COVID-19 response coordinator. Um, 
and it restored the Directorate for the Global Health Security and Biodefense, which was uh, a specific pandemic response team that was within the National Security Council. Uh, you might remember that Joe, that uh, Donald Trump was criticized for having disbandled, dismantled that. Um, he rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement, or at least started the process of doing that within the next 30 days. So, woo! Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's like, God. Again, when just Trump getting us back to that, zero. Like, <laughs> Yeah. God, when Trump got out of the Paris Climate Agreement, it's like, it's like your house is on fire. And he just ran over and he just sucked up all the water. Yeah. It's like, like you know what we need to do now? We need to cut off the utility. Yeah. <laughs> um, he uh, reversed several of Trump's environmental policies, environmental executive orders that basically were like, hey, you know, you don't have to not poison water. <laughs> Keep poisoning water. So so Biden reversed that. Um, he did an executive order in which he was dismantling the Trump administration's uh, uh, 1776 commission, which was basically mm -hmm. a commission designed to teach uh, the teach U.S. history uh, inaccurately and try to pretend that slavery wasn't as bad as it was. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Enshrining like lost cause into the into. Uh our education system even further. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he signed an executive order which reversed the uh, Trump administration's attempt to uh, keep undocumented immigrants from the census, um, which is good because of uh, resource allocation. Um, he issued a memorandum to preserve and fortify DACA. Now, it mm -hmm. had already been fortified due to uh, judges' orders, but mm -hmm. this means that it is no longer in any danger from the executive branch. Yeah. Um, he repealed the Muslim ban. Hallelujah. Which we had already talked about. Yeah. Um, he uh, did an executive order revoking some of the, uh, quote, harsh and extreme immigration enforcement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, namely things like uh, uh, common practices of putting immigrants into facilities stuffing them into facilities that are super crowded um and also uh putting immigration policies that are more in line with uh, biden's own values and priorities which i believe uh, i would hope means uh returning children to their families mm, i think that um, is implied <laughs> <laughs> uh halting the construction of the border wall um a uh an executive order that would uh, direct the U.S. government to interpret the Civil Rights Act to include prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm. Um, That's awesome. That is totally awesome. Um, and an executive order reversing some of the regulatory executive orders that Trump had put out and various different uh, different agencies. So all good things. Yeah. Like, I remember way back when Joe Biden had initially uh, won the primary, we mm -hmm. did a segment where we basically made the argument that when Joe Biden is inaugurated, that is not the victory. Mm -hmm. The victory is when policies actually change. 
well, here's a huge list of policies yeah. that have changed on day one. <laughs> Who knows so, there would actually be a victory on, on day one. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. So, so these are wonderful. Um, I, I don't know how much more there's we are going to expect, but hopefully we can expect good things considering that there is a Democratic-controlled Senate, although it is a weak control. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see how much gets done. Um, yeah. I still have concerns that Joe Biden is going to find ways to become more of a moderate on things that he had promised. Mm-hmm. Prove me wrong, though. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I would love for you to prove me wrong. Yeah, and a lot might happen over these next few days. Basically, as much as can possibly be included or tangentially related to the budget process um, might get uh, included in that, especially with Bernie Sanders as chair of the budget committee. And uh, and passing budget resolutions only requires a uh, majority rather than uh, you know the sixty votes. Yeah, I remember in uh, I believe it was it was it was twenty eighteen. Uh, Paul Ryan was giving a speech about the importance of keeping the Senate, and he was like, "You know what happens if Democrats take control of the Senate? Bernie Sanders becomes the Budget Committee chairman." <laughs> And I like to think that right now, Paul Ryan is just pissing himself. (laughs) Your nightmare is real, Paul. (laughs) Yeah, that's great news. So, so hopefully, a lot happens very fast. um, And this track record of taking concerted good action to try to get us back to, um, you know, the pre Trump progress that we had made um, happens really fast and we can start focusing on actually making improvements over the uh, where we were in 2016. And now it's time for one of our more positive segments, Tips for Good. So Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, we do Tips for Good every week because I... I'm quite fond of big butts and I have an inability to make purposely false statements. <laughs> you know that. That's oh, a and lot also of because it makes, it makes a, <laughs> it the world a better place. I am very fond of big butts and I'm, and I'm incapable of making <laughs> intentionally false statements. And I, <laughs> it doesn't quite have the same ring to it. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I, I think it's catchy. Yeah. Okay. Well, I should put out a remix. i should i should uh so this Um, week our tip for good is um related to um when you have conversations with people who you think might disagree with you um and basically the idea is just because you think someone is associated with a group of people um or a particular party or particular ideology don't just assume that they toe the party line or follow the group's thinking in all things, because all that does is make the conversation harder to have, less nuanced, and less actually based in what the person actually thinks. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've found is that there's nothing more annoying than having a conversation, trying to have a conversation with someone that spends more time telling me what they think that I think. Yeah. 
than actually listening to what my actual views are. Mm-hmm. I've had conversations with people about like Democrats versus Republicans in which they have accused me of being brainwashed by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, <laughs> because of course the way that I sure. have talked on this pod definitely demonstrates that I just, I worship Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I mean, dude, I, you I have altars to them that I say it's, a, it's a, a five it's minute a, prayer to every night. It's like a Frankenstein situation. <laughs> you know, they thought they could control you. They brainwashed you, and then you just got out of hand, you know? They, they actually dropped the radioactive acid when they were brainwashing you, and all of a sudden you're super yeah. progressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, take Michael and I, for example. We would typically associate more with the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. but, I mean, I don't know how it is with Michael, but I can count the number of Democrats that I, on it, that I can honestly say that I like on one hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, outside of my family and, you know, well, I mean, okay. I, I should say elected, elected <laughs> yeah. Democrats. Fair I enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, maybe, maybe two hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and, um, you know, certainly in Nathan's case, in my case as well, like we have pretty strong, um, civil libertarian intuitions about a lot yeah. of things and, and beliefs in a lot of ways that fall pretty out of line with, with, um, you know, certain perspectives, especially, you know, some on the uh, uh, more progressive side of the Democratic Party. So, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. we're an amalgam. Like, we're individuals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> butterfly, like, snowflake, <laughs> fingerprints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we tend to take a more civil libertarian approach to uh, social media censorship. Yeah. Um, which is definitely not necessarily in line with a lot of people within the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And look, I it's not that I think that people are stupid, that disagree with me on that but i think that there's an important conversation to be had yeah um and my conclusion comes more to the side of um hey i i think that like you can call someone out for saying something stupid but i don't think you should just take them down because it violates the principle of free speech because i don't i don't necessarily see a meaningful difference between the government restricting your personal freedom and a corporation doing it and importantly if someone just assumes that you are, you know, down with Twitter doing whatever they want um, to, you know, shutting down anybody or Amazon shutting down various social media sites, um, they'll never be able to have that nuanced conversation with you. They'll never be able to have the conversation that's critically important to have about um, the specifics of, of these arguments so we can actually make progress. So Exactly. So the big thing is when you want to have an argument or discussion with someone, make sure that you actually take a minute and ask them what their position is mm-hmm. before you really start. Because if you just if you just make assumptions about where they stand, it's not going to be a productive conversation. You're going to be arguing with a straw man, most likely. Yep. And that's tips for good. So for our second segment, we are going to talk about minimum wage. So this is fairly timely because a $15 minimum wage is part of Joe Biden's um, stimulus plan, which he is, uh, which he's proposed. And, you know, this is one of those evergreen policy issues that we just have to keep focusing on. We have to keep arguing for and staying educated about so that we can keep moving the needle on it. Like, you know, it was it was a huge win when Florida increased to a fifteen dollar minimum wage um, 
you know, voted for an increase from $15 minimum wage. That's, that's huge. And the fact that it's getting more popular support um, is really positive. Um, and it's a, it's a direct result of, of people starting to understand the arguments, starting to understand, starting to have less fear of, of like the, uh, the straw, you know, the, the less supported positions on the other side. Um, and, um, you know, being convinced. So that's why we yeah. wanted to have this conversation today. Yeah. So Michael and I both do agree with the raising of the minimum wage. But before we get into that argument, hey, Michael. Yeah. Let's do what we love doing best, which is let's steal man the hell out of the counter argument. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So the biggest counter argument when it comes to minimum wage increase is the effect on employment. Absolutely. Now, the primary argument here, and interestingly enough, I'm actually going to cite the Congressional Budget Office mm -hmm. on this because the Congressional Budget Office um, lists this as a possibility that could happen as a result of raising the minimum wage, is that when you raise the minimum wage, um, the theory is that employers are going to have to decrease their employment. Mm -hmm. And this happens for two reasons, according to this theory. The first reason is that you can't afford to hire as many people because you have to pay people more. Mm -hmm. And the second reason is that because raising the minimum wage raises the cost of production overall, the only way that you can possibly make up for that is by increasing the price of your goods. Mm -hmm. And the more that you increase the price of your goods, the less people buy from you. Yeah. And the less people that buy from you, the less employees that you need. There's a, there's a subtle economic point there as well, which is that um, if you increase the wage of everyone in your society, um, you know, at the same time, thus increasing, you know, wages across the board, then, and they, and those, those increases are directly, you know, have to be directly passed along to cost. Then all you've done is inflated the economy. You've increased wages yeah. by $1. You've increased costs by $1. And as a result, everything is exactly the same. So that's, yeah. So that's one argument. And another is like, is, you know, more specifically about you know, small businesses and their ability yeah. to absorb the the cost increases associated with having to pay their employees significantly more. You know, small businesses run on often a pretty tight budget and employees and labor is often one of their major costs. And, you know, going from seven twenty five an hour to say fifteen dollars, more than doubling the cost of um, labor for these for the businesses that rely on minimum wage workers you know, that could have a really difficult effect on their bottom line. So why is, why are those arguments wrong? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for, so for a couple of reasons. So first of all, um, all of them, all of those arguments imply uh, a fixed pie from the revenue perspective. Um, so they, they imply that you will increase your costs from, uh, when you know, in, um, by having to pay your labor more. But you will have no increase in revenue from the economic growth of paying people more. So, so think about it like this. If you are a grocery retailer and you pay people minimum wage, 
and all of a sudden you've got to pay your workers more and so do all the other like large employers that pay minimum wage in your area um sure you'll have a cost increase but at the same time you'll have um a lot more people who are yeah. who, who are incredibly impoverished able to spend in your store able to spend more in your store um you'll have fewer customers and employees that have to rely on theft in order to be able to get by. So there'll be less cost from a shrink perspective. Um, like you have got, you've got all these larger economic reasons why you know, raising the minimum wage could actually like promote the health and wealth and, and um, success of your community and your local economy. Secondly, this is a reason, uh, you know, one of the reasons why this is not going to just result in 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 inflation, is that um, you know this is a this is a subset of the the working population and a subset of the consuming population in the United States, and it is more about the shifting around of dollars rather than the um, increase in cost and and income. In, in a corresponding way. So what you're really doing is shifting, um, if shifting money from like corporations cost in other areas and or their, their profit margins down to the employees who are then able to, to spend that. And so you're not actually just, it's not a wash. Ultimately you'd be increasing the, 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 dollar value for people, which, which has a lot of other effects. It, it costs less to be able to spend, you know, money on, on, to be able to have more cash to, to eat more healthily, for example, so that you don't have to, um, you're not sick as often, which means that if you are really not very wealthy and you have to go to the emergency room and, if, and you don't have insurance as many people do when they work, work for minimum wage, the hospital gets footed with the bill ultimately if if they're not able to collect from you. And so there's all of these knock-on effects of having a more prosperous um, group of of even the the least well-off in our economy. Yeah. And also the important thing to to recognize is that talking about it from a theoretical perspective. Mm -hmm. Even if there is a increase in unemployment which is not which is not necessarily a guarantee it always goes back down specifically because of the reasons that michael was talking about because if more people have more money and therefore can spend more money in the economy then the argument that was made by the cbo earlier that we addressed doesn't necessarily hold up because that argument was people are going to spend uh, less money because costs go up. Mm -hmm. However, if you have more people with more money, they're going to spend more money in the business, yeah. which could drive costs down. But mo most importantly, it means that more people are coming to your business. Mm -hmm. More people are going to your business. More people are spending in your business. Yeah. Now, the classic economic theory behind spending in the upper class versus spending in the, the middle class is that when people, when rich people, when people in the upper class get more money, they're more likely to save it. Yeah. But, or, or invest it in the stock market. Or invest in the stock which market. Which doesn't have any 
positive effect on the consumer economy. Yeah. However, when it comes to the middle class, their primary focus is usually balance. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to to balance their checkbook, have a balanced budget. And the more money they have, the more money they can spend and still keep a balanced checkbook. Mm -hmm. So in the end, it still does have a positive effect. So even if there is a little bit of an increase in unemployment, increasing the minimum wage pulls enough people out of poverty to where you end up needing to hire more people anyway. Mm -hmm. And the other thing to note here is that Increasing unemployment is not an assurance. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Economic Policy Institute, which I cited this the last time we had a discussion about uh, minimum wage. I'm going to go ahead and cite it again. They did a compilation study of 37 different studies between um, the years of uh, 2001 and uh, 2016. And what they found was that the average employment estimation was actually extremely small. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, the Economic Policy Institute found that there is statistical evidence to show a bias in publishing Mm -hmm. towards uh, studies that show that there's going to be an increase in unemployment versus those that show that there could be no effect or even a decrease in unemployment, which could be the reason why the Congressional Budget Office is accepting that as established theory. Mm-hmm. But based on but based on their compilation, that's not necessarily the case. And actually, if you go to um, the historical unemployment and you juxtapose it with all of the times that the minimum wage has been increased on a federal level— mm-hmm. In some cases, you see an increase in unemployment. In some cases, there's actually a pretty steady decrease. Like the the unemployment decreased through the 60s, while at the same time, minimum wage was increased four times. Wow. So, yeah, and, and again, that doesn't automatically mean that raising the minimum wage decreases unemployment. Mm-hmm. But it means that there are external factors yeah. that affect it. Yeah. So simply saying that the rule is, well, okay, you might take people out of poverty, but at the expense of increasing unemployment, that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. And history shows that. Yeah, absolutely. Which is also another an argument for raising it federally and not just relying on states. Um, yeah. Is that, you know, when a single state raises unemployment, there are fewer switching costs for a business there going somewhere else to the next state or you know mm. to to uh, somewhere else when you raise it federally there are a lot higher switching costs to changing national markets you're not going to have a us retailer that exits the us market because they we increase their labor cost they're going to make way more money in the united states under a better labor market than they would you know in some some other country or like trying to take their whole operation somewhere else. Like, so raising it federally means that we're going to have even fewer of these potentially, you're going to make potentially negative outcomes even lower. The other point I want to emphasize here is that, you know, some people argue that it's not the responsibility of the market to provide 
you know, a certain level of well-being to the labor force, to the participants in that market. They, they basically argue that, like, the market itself is just. And as a result of that, we should just accept whatever the market forces are that, that result in that. And I, I, I don't want to argue against that claim itself because I think if you think, sit down and think about it, it's pretty clear that it's not very, it's not true. What I want to argue for is the fact that we should expect and require via minimum wage that uh, working full-time enables you to live sustainably and securely. Like that is something that we should expect our economy to do. We live in one of the, the wealthiest economies in the world. And, you know, it is, it is totally reasonable for us to expect that if a person is working full time, they should be able to feed themselves, you know, visit a doctor, have a roof over their head and, and have a child. You know, like, 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 I think sometimes people push back on that last one because children are such a big expense in our society. But in what world should children be a luxury of the rich? You know, that's just untenable for our society and it doesn't make any sense. Um, and so to that point, I just want to put some numbers to that argument because, you know, at this point, we don't only have a non-livable wage. We have a deplorable minimum wage. So, yeah. so the federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, which was passed in 2009 and hasn't been increased since then. So if you look at the rate of inflation and you look at $7.25 today in 2009 dollars, that's the equivalent of $5.24 an hour in 2009 dollars. So the reality of inflation is that every single year that we don't increase the minimum wage, the US minimum wage workforce is taking a pay cut every single year. And so in order to keep pace with inflation, that 2009 number should actually be $9.07 an hour. And only about 50% of US states actually have a state level minimum wage at that level. Um, so, so most states, or or a lot of states, just default to the federal minimum wage, which is very low. Um, so let's do the math on seven twenty five an hour. So seven twenty five an hour times forty dollars, or you know forty hours a week, which is full time, times fifty weeks a year, which again is full time is $14,500 pre-tax. So if you have two adults, if you have a two-parent household with a kid earning that amount of money, you get $29,000 a year pre-tax income. According to MIT's cost of living calculator, there is, there's no state in the United States where that is enough to live on. If you have you know, enough to eat, have health insurance, uh, have a roof over your head, and have a kid which again, are the basics. So that means that, you know, if you're a single parent household, and remember, we're talking, we're, we should be arguing for a job to be able to support you, even if you're a single parent. Um, you would only be making $14,500 a year. 
Okay, so the cheapest state to live in in the United States is Mississippi. So according to that same MIT calculator, it costs $48,000 per year to live in Mississippi with, with no luxuries, um, covering your own, like covering those expenses that I've listed. Um, you know, and that is the cheapest state. So that's $12 an hour for a two-parent household and $24 an hour for a single-parent household in the cheapest state in America, which means that a $15 minimum wage is actually a pretty conservative number. Yeah. And another argument that I want to make is you often see people make the argument that oh well you're really saying that people that flip burgers or, or clean floors that they deserve fifteen dollars an hour and i've actually heard people use the example of teachers <laughs> as basically a reason to say oh well you know teachers don't make very much money so you're saying that like people that flip burgers should make more than some teachers are right now and this this actually gave me the idea to um, to go ahead and calculate how much I made last year. So for those of you that don't know, uh, I'm an adjunct instructor, which basically means that um, I'm paid on a contract basis. So I don't necessarily have a fixed yearly salary. Um, I am paid a certain amount of money for the amount of classes that I teach each semester. So last year, I taught an average of five classes per semester, which is a full schedule. Mm -hmm. Now, technically I'm a part-time worker. So in order to have a full schedule, I had to, um, I had to teach at multiple schools. Yeah. So I had multiple, um, part-time jobs, but I was working full time and it came out to $30,694 and 96 cents for the year. Now, if minimum wage was increased to $15 an hour, that would make minimum wage workers earn $31,200 a year, more money than I am making right now. And so there are some people that might that look at that and say, well, you're doing the teacher a disservice for that. Mm -hmm. And look, I spent six years in post-secondary education. I have a master's degree. I wrote a thesis. I've been working as a teacher for four years at this point. And you know what? You're goddamn right they deserve a living wage mm -hmm. because other people living more comfortably does not detract from the value of my own work. All right. And the idea that it does is just spiteful. Yeah. And trying to create that narrative, trying to use those of us who are in a lot of ways exploited as an excuse to exploit other people is not only sick, but you're doing the bidding of the richest Americans. Mm -hmm. You know, I, look, I don't care if people flipping burgers end up making more money than me, end up making, in this case, it's like barely a thousand bucks over me. I'm more worried about the fact that their CEO makes like a thousand times more than them. The top one-tenth of 1% 1 in the United States own approximately the same amount of wealth as the bottom 90%. And the fact that they have created this, this cultural phenomenon 
in which we turn against each other, those of us in the middle class and the lower class, that we turn against each other and fight over the scraps while they walk away with the whole pie is just indicative of how effective their propaganda is. But we don't have to let them get away with that. You know, if you want to argue that teachers should make more money, well, I agree with you. <laughs> of course I agree with you. But don't you dare use the salary of teachers to justify treating other people like garbage, to treat other people's full-time labor as in uh, as undeserving of a living wage. If you work full-time, you deserve to have a living wage. And if you don't believe that from a purely moral standpoint, we already talked about the practicality, but if you believe that from a moral standpoint, you are basically saying that you acknowledge that there are some jobs that someone needs to do, but the people that do them deserve to live in poverty. And I completely reject that from a moral basis, an economic basis, and... We can also reject it from a historical basis. I know I've read this quotation before, but I'm going to read it again. FDR said about the about the the minimum wage when he established it. He said, "Quote: No business which depends for existence on paying less than living wages to its workers has any right to continue in this country." And now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Asshat of, of the, the week. week. So, Nathan, who are our asshats this week? Well, Michael, I'm glad you said asshats. I noticed that. Yeah, well. Because we got a double deuce this week. <laughs> we got the lovely couple, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Wow. I'm really surprised they haven't made it on here before. I mean, they do kind of do fly under the radar. They... They prefer to yeah. just to do their crimes kind of in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget that, uh, you know, despite the fact that they're in the background, they still do. They're still terrible people. Oh, yeah. Like People tainted by the Trump administration just end up being. I mean, the more you learn about them, the more you realize, wow, you are cartoonishly terrible. Yeah. And, and no place is that more obviously and hilariously true than in this recent revelation um, that came out of the Washington Post, which, uh, you know, got them on our show today. Yeah, yeah. So this week is a poop controversy. <laughs> you might call it a uh, poop scoop. <laughs> or just a shit show. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, uh, Jared and Ivanka Trump don't want their secret service agents that are protecting them, you know, that are there to take a bullet for them, uh, to use the bathroom in their house, which by the way, they have a half a dozen bathrooms in their house. <laughs> yeah, not and even because of this, <laughs> and because of this for a while, uh, they were actually going to, uh, a nearby home of Barack Obama mm -hmm. And and then there were, and then uh, to another one, uh, a nearby home of uh, of Vice President Pence, 
in order to in order to go to the bathroom. Well, Pence's wasn't even nearby. They had to drive. Yeah. They had to get in a car and drive to his house. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm up like seven times a night. Right. <laughs> and and eventually they had to resort to renting a studio in another house in the neighborhood, which has cost since September 2017 a hundred thousand dollars in order to be able to use the bathroom because jared and ivanka couldn't even dedicate one one of six bathrooms to the like under 20 percent of their bathrooms (laughs) yeah now they have denied this and their argument is basically oh well no they the secret service people are refusing to do it because they don't want to be like invasive um, to us, which I call bullshit on Yeah. because you're saying that it's invasive for them to go to the bathroom at your house, but it's not invasive to go to the bathroom at Barack Obama's yeah, house right. or, or Mike Pence's house. Vice Pre- yeah. Mike Pence's house. Yeah. Like they're specifically saying, Oh, we don't want to inconvenience Ivanka and Jared, but we do definitely want to do that to Obama yeah. and Pence. Like yeah. what? That sounds a lot and more honestly, like. Even if Ivanka and Jared get so cranky when we use their bathroom, <laughs> that we don't feel yeah. we can. And even if that was the case, like if you were a decent human being, you would be like, "No, you're going to use a bathroom in this house. Like, I'm not going to. I'm definitely not going to make you do that mm-hmm. because you are here to protect my life." Yeah. I mean, honestly, if if I had Secret Service people. Like if I was a prominent figure and I had secret service people whose job it was to, to take a bullet for me, I would want to keep them as happy as possible. Right. Like they can, they can shit in my bathtub for all I care. You know? I mean, one like, of your six I, bathtubs. Yeah. One of my six bathtubs. <laughs> yeah. I'll have, we'll have a specific bathtub specifically dedicated to, <laughs> to that. <laughs> like I got, it is just, it's just cartoonishly, it cartoonishly, evil and deplorable to just to to be like oh you know my security detail like cannot inconvenience one of my half dozen bathrooms you know they have to like i what do you what do you think what what do you think we let the help do that (laughs) yeah (laughs) which by the way was literally a plot point in the movie the help yeah yeah. that was what made the the main villain of that movie such a villain and a heart and a cartoonish one i mean among other things yeah yeah, among all the racism the biggest cartoon yeah that was cartoonish you know i can i just really hope on their way out the door the secret service bakes jared and ivanka a pie So congratulations to Jared and Ivanka for being our <laughs> Ass Hats of, of the Week. And now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Ass Hat of, of My, my Life. life. <laughs> so, Michael, who is our Ass Hat this life? <laughs> <laughs> so, we have made jokes on the show when people are particularly ass hatty. That they're not only the asshat of the week, but the asshat of the year or the month. But in this case, we've got an asshat so asshatty that has committed so much asshattery that 
It is the asset of our entire lives. And that yeah. is the one man who was banned from ever being asshat of the week because he'd win every week. <laughs> the one, the only, Donald J. Trump. Yeah. Congratulations. Come on down. We, <laughs> we've been saving this for the last year and a half. <laughs> we wanted Like, to seriously, do... we actually, early, early uh, in the podcast, when Michael and I were discussing fun segments, um, when the idea of doing Ass Hat of the Week came up, we actually, we made it a point to specifically say, Donald Trump can never be our ass hat because he would always be our ass hat. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Like, so this, so think of this as a lifetime achievement award. Yes, there, that's the right way to put it. <laughs> so we just want to celebrate the end of the Trump presidency, but just bringing up some of the ways in which he was just such an asshat. Yeah. And what's kind of funny was I, I was trying to find a good place for a list of <laughs> all the terrible things that Trump did. And um, I actually found one on this website called McSweeney's. Oh, yeah, I saw that. It's got a color-coded legend. It's got a color-coded legend, and it has a list of 1,056 That's the thing. I found, I I was expecting, so often I'll, like, look up articles, and I'll find a few articles that all say pretty similar things, and I kind of use them to, like, peer review each other. I found, you know, 10 articles all talking about you know the worst things that trump did and all of them had different things <laughs> there <Yeah>. was like <laughs> almost no overlap <laughs> it's ridiculous god he is just such a disgusting human being but before yeah. we get started yeah i do i do want to say you know for the sake of fairness i do want to lay out all of the good things that trump did yeah it right? shouldn't take long <laughs> so the first good thing the first step act mm -hmm. you know definitely the first step act um it was a relatively minor piece of criminal justice reform but it had it really had only good things in it mm -hmm. right it was it was absolutely a positive step in the right direction mind you the only reason why he did it is because kim kardashian told him to but at least he did it hey so that's good Good, you know, credit, yeah. credit to you, Don. Um, another thing, um, due to the fact that he did establish more positive relations with North Korea, he was able to get several American hostages released from North Korea. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's absolutely wonderful. That is, that is a completely positive thing. And I actually think that the media in some ways was a little bit too harsh on him mm -hmm. for North Korea. Like, you know, it was, it was stupid when he was saying stuff like, oh, we fell yeah. in love. Yeah, um, he was pretty silly about like, it. But like, yeah, it was, I would say that in a lot of ways, our relationship with North Korea was probably more positive than negative. Definitely a lot of negative things to talk about, but, you know, um, but I'd say probably more positive than negative. Mm -hmm. Um. Also, also, uh, another caveat to that is um, uh, he, when the hostages got released, he did thank Kim Jong-un for their treatment. Um, so even one of his greatest achievements, he found a way to taint it. Mm -hmm. But but he got them released. So good. Yeah. Good. And he's also apparently reduced the number of troops in Afghanistan to 
2,500. Now, that isn't ending the wars, but that is a decrease. So good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those three things. And that's it. Great. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get into this, dude. God, where do we want to... Do we want to start before or after his presidency? Because, God, there's so much to talk about. (laughs) Let's, you know, let's start before to lay the groundwork for why we should have expected the exact presidency that we got from this man. Yeah. 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 So let's not forget that Trump originally became um, prominent in GOP politics with the birther movement. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you that are uh, too young to remember, um, we had a president before Trump. uh, He was... uh, one Barack Obama. Oh. And um, he was the first black president. Mm. And as the first black president, Donald Trump basically raised this weird conspiracy theory that Barack Obama was actually born in Kenya and not in the United States. And he kept going on and on about this. Mm -hmm. Like he was... He was he would often have interviews where he would say, like, I'm sending people over to Hawaii and you can't believe what they're finding. They're finding the most amazing things. What are they finding? They're finding the most amazing things. You didn't answer my question. Yeah, I answered your question. They're finding the most amazing things. And actually, that right there was my first exposure to Donald Trump, Mm. um, which was this this birther bullshit. Uh, And then finally, Obama released his birth certificate which he shouldn't have had to. Yeah, that's it's ridiculous. And then he was like and then Trump was like, "Oh, it's it's definitely totally fake. I have a very reliable source my, telling my me birth certificate that it's guy. fake." <laughs> um, he can make one out of anything. He's amazing. <laughs> He's tremendous. <laughs> um yeah. Also, I want to point out like he's been a douche from the beginning. Yeah. Like Five years out of college, the Trump company settled charges uh, that were brought by the Justice Department, charging them with discriminating against African Americans in who were like in uh, in 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 apartment rentals. Like he had just graduated from college, and already he's like this this prodigy of sleazy, horrible crimes. Yeah, and let's not forget the Central Park Five who even after they were acquitted, even after it was proven that they were, um, that they were innocent, Trump was still, he still paid to take out this op-ed arguing that they should still be executed. Yeah. So there's plenty of history of racism. That's good to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, Um, and let's not forget that, uh, in the, in the nineties, he did this interview where he basically, he was talking about the, uh, uh, the Tiananmen Square massacre. Mm. And he talked about how the Chinese government showed great strength. Uh, so, okay. So we saw the beginning of the pattern of authoritarian tendencies. Yeah. So basically, you know that that picture of the guy standing in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square? The, the one that's supposed to be this iconic picture of a man standing up to authoritarianism? Mm-hmm. Trump looked at that picture and said, Man, those tanks are so strong. 
Okay, so so far we have we've established a history of racism and a history of authoritarian tendencies. How about a history of horrible mismanagement? <laughs> this person who everybody touted as this amazing businessman who's going to turn the country around because he's so good, he's an amazing manager and businessman. Um in the 1990s, ran his casino into the ground, tried to take an illegal loan from his father, and then was forced by lenders to liquidate a bunch of assets and was, was forced to stick to a strict budget. And then in 2004, his company went bankrupt. And then again in 2009 and again in 2014. This mastermind ran company after company into the ground and, and getting sued literally Thousands of times in the process of this for things like fraud. For example, yeah. the Trump University settled for $25 million over a fraud claim. So so this history of just being the worst at, at stuff is long. And so we shouldn't yeah. have been surprised when he like totally blew up our deficit for... Yeah, of uh, a, a fun little tax break, and was terrible at managing the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, and let's not forget that fateful day when he came down the escalator and bravely proclaimed that Mexico is purposely sending over rapists. Mm. But he did he did make sure to pri- provide the caveat that some of them he assumes are good people. Sure, sure, and of course, let's not forget that. Um, before he was even president, uh, he admitting to molesting people and yeah. was accused by over 15 women of sexual assault, including his former wife. Yeah. And also, like, I remember during the uh, one of the debates in which the, the debate that happened right after the Access Hollywood tape mm-hmm. went out, which you know, was the infamous grab him by the pussy statement, yeah. in which he was specifically asked, like, hey, so... You, you talked about grabbing people by the pussy. You do acknowledge that that's sexual assault. He's like, oh, no, it's not sexual assault. What? <laughs> what? Non-consensually touching people's genitals is not sexual assault? If you don't think that's sexual assault, what do you think sexual assault is? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but non-famous people. Like, and, and also the fact that he thinks of that as just like normal makes me think, how many times has he done that to people? Seriously. So we've got. So he's an admitted sexual predator. Yeah. yeah. So we've got all of this really long history of him being the total worst, which would have landed him on our asshat, uh, even if he weren't the president of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> and now, and then in 2016, on his, a, a run of historic falsehoods, he gets elected president. And the shit just keeps coming. <laughs> so there's, of course, the Muslim ban, mm-hmm. which he pretended wasn't a Muslim ban, even though he admitted that this was his version of a Muslim yeah. ban specifically. And if you don't believe he admitted that it was his version of a Muslim ban, his statements about it really being a Muslim ban is what enabled courts to shut down his initial executive order. Which didn't, yeah. you know, wasn't explicitly a Muslim ban, but him going, you know, this is this is basically a Muslim ban. You got to figure out how to do it. Was yeah. the evidence the courts needed to shut it yeah. down? Yeah, and like he publicly said, Donald J. Trump is calling for a quote total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the country. Yeah. 
Like he specifically said that you can't tell me that it was not a Muslim ban. And the funniest part of it is the whole justification that I kept hearing from right wingers was, well, if something like this were present, then maybe nine 11 wouldn't have happened except for the fact that the, like none of the countries that were on the list actually had like actual were countries that people that did nine 11 came from. Mm. Like, and interestingly enough, a lot of the countries that people that uh, committed the 9-11 attacks did come from that were not on the list had Trump hotels in them. Mm. Interesting mm. how that works out. Interesting. Which leads us <laughs> to another common theme throughout his presidency, which is conflicts of interest. So from the very beginning, he was embroiled in conflicts of interest and emoluments clause violations, which is in the Constitution, basically saying that he, you know, that a president should not be getting paid by foreign governments and powers. And yet, by not divesting from his properties, um, he was he was literally getting paid by foreign and domestic governments um, and violating the Constitution from from day one. And yeah, and the uh, the group, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, documented three thousand additional instances of direct conflicts of interests, mostly related to um, him getting money from or using his position uh, as a leader of America um, to to enrich himself via his properties, including Mar-a-Lago and other golf resorts increasing their prices. To take advantage of the fact that Trump was going to be putting um, things like the G8 or G7 and other government um, functions in his properties. Yeah. And then remember that time that he I, I think this was before he was elected president when he specifically told Russia to hack the DNC mm. to hack uh, to hack Hillary's emails. Mm. And that prompted a invest investigation from the FBI yeah. into ties to Russia. And it is true to be clear. It is true that they did not find evidence that he was a Manchurian candidate. And yeah, honestly, that was probably a really ridiculous proposition to begin with. Um, he did very clearly obstruct justice. Yes. When he specifically fired the FBI director, James Comey. And then later he admitted that the reason why he fired the FBI director was to stop yeah. the, the, the Russia investigation. Yeah. Oh, so again, let's not you forget. might not have been guilty of being a Manchurian candidate, but you sure as hell were guilty of, of obstruction of justice. Absolutely. And you admitted yeah. it. And let's not forget that he tried to fire the guy who was investigating whether he fired the guy <laughs> <laughs> to obstruct justice. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And then, and then, as if collaborating with a foreign enemy wasn't enough, the Ukraine stuff happened, where he was literally soliciting directly, directly, clearly, obviously, soliciting a foreign power to interfere in the U.S. elections, attempting to withhold and withhold aid unless they did so, which violates not one, not two, not three, not four, but five five u.s laws he just he did five crimes on one phone call <laughs> and let's not forget that he um that 
he is an unindicted co-conspirator in a campaign finance violation to pay off a porn star mm. to keep quiet about an affair that they had. And his co-conspirator got prison time for it. He was in prison while Donald Trump was in the White House. Mm. Probably not for long with <laughs> Donald Trump in the White House. <laughs> Which brings us to his activities in the recent days. He's pardoned over 70 of his cronies in, in the past yes. few days. And in the past couple of weeks, he also pardoned some actual war criminals. Yeah, there was, so there was a group of people um, from the Blackwater uh, uh, Mercenary Company. Uh, is mercenary the right word? contractor whatever basically <laughs> I mean, when you hire people for war that's i think that's a mercenary <laughs> that's a mercenary yeah so it was four security contractors or mercenaries um who slaughtered 14 iraqi civilians in 2007 and he just he just was like yeah they're brown people and pardoned them yeah i mean obviously he didn't directly say that but Seriously? Yeah. Like they just they just slaughter Iraqi civilians. And and you just like and it's nothing. Like just yeah. with one stroke of the pen they're free. Yeah. Like cartoonishly evil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and on the subject of disregarding life, early on and for months throughout the pandemic, totally condemned mask wearing. Called people yeah. weak and silly and dumb for wearing masks. And no doubt that has led to, you know, a significant amount of death of his own supporters who didn't wear masks yeah. because of him. And he was publicly calling it a hoax while privately, and we have the tapes, privately telling Bod Woodward that he knows that it's not just the flu. Mm -hmm. Like, so he's, he was actively lying. He was actively lying. Mm -hmm about a disease that has now killed over 400,000 people. Yeah. And, you know, let's not forget some of the horrific policies, mm -hmm. some of the other horrific policies yeah. that he passed, the tax cuts for the rich, the tax bill, which uh, repealed the mandate, which resulted in millions of people losing their health insurance, while at the same time, the, the parts of the tax law itself, 80% of all of the benefits over the last, over the next decade are going to go to the top 1%. Mm -hmm. Like, and this guy pretended to be a populist. Mm -hmm. This guy pretended to, to run as a, a man of the people, a man of the working class. And it turns out he's the same shill establishment, Republican shill that does the bidding of corporations and rich people as, as all of the others. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also, he, uh, he, he tried to get rid of DACA. So, so hundreds of thousands of, of immigrants that came here as children had to fear being stripped away from the country that they have known their whole life just because this asshole wanted to, I don't know, wanted to appeal to a bunch of racists. Yeah. Well, let's not forget the nepotism. <laughs> oh yes. How did Ivanka, Jared, and Don Jr. get jobs in his admin? Well, that's that's easy. He just convinced the Justice Department to go against decades of precedent. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. It is it is interesting how with Trump we've learned that a lot of things are 
uh, not laws, yeah. but just but just precedent. Mm. Um, oh yeah, he never released his tax returns. Sure, sure. And the the uh, the the tax returns that the New York Times had uh, had shown us basically demonstrated that he had paid uh, less money in taxes than most middle class Americans. Mm-hmm. It makes me smart. <laughs> oh, and let's not forget that that the things that actually are enshrined in laws he also doesn't care about, including yeah. a ton of Hatch Act violations, which uh, the Hatch Act is the one that prevents you from using your public office in order to, um, you know, in service of your future reelection and campaign. So it requires that you keep those things separate. But instead, he constantly combined the two and, and, and used his position in order to try to get reelected in the future. Yeah. Um, oh, early in his presidency, he pardoned uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Oh, my gosh, you're right. was that horrific sheriff in Arizona that was putting immigrants into these facilities yeah. that, like, his own people referred to as concentration camps. Yeah. Like, in these... Um, in these hot environments, these these tents in the middle of the desert, and just subjecting them to just these horrible conditions, and then Trump just was like, "Yeah, you're doing it to brown people. I'll pardon you." Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, and and called him an American hero. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, a little more recently, he. Uh... This is, this is probably one of my favorite series of events. He spends months trying to corrupt public confidence in the election, especially related to, um, to you know, false and unsupported claims about mail-in voting. And then he tries to defund the U.S. Postal Service to make sure that mail-in voting fails, hurting, like, everybody that relies on, or attempting to hurt everybody that relies on the postal system. Um, and then after he convinces everybody on his side that they shouldn't do mail-in voting because he's like it's either fraudulent or their ballots won't get there because he's trying to steal money from the Postal Service, he's absolutely blown away when when the votes that are counted first are, are read and then the election shifts Democratic with mail-in voting and pretends like that is evidence of fraud. Yeah. Which, you know, is par for the course with him because, uh, according to the Washington Post, um, he has made over 20,000 false statements, false or misleading statements, um, during his time in office, which is an average of 23 false statements a day. Jesus. A day! 23 false statements a day! Mother of God. Pathological liar does not even encompass how detached from reality this guy's words were. Mm. Like, I just, I don't even know how that's physically possible. I know. I don't know how it's physically possible to make you'd, 23 false statements you'd think a day. that if you close your eyes and throw a dart at a dartboard... You'll hit it at least some of the time. So he must have just been throwing in the opposite direction all the time. (laughs) 
And and let's not forget, I, I, again, I'm going back to before his presidency, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Uh, remember that time that he mocked a disabled reporter? Oh my reporter, gosh, yes. And then lied about knowing him? Yeah. Oh my gosh, like, you're right. He mocked a disabled reporter using a, a, a reporter's physical disability as an excuse to attack his credibility. Mm-hmm. And then he lied pretending, oh, I didn't even, I didn't know the guy was disabled. I didn't know him. And we later found out that was a lie that they had actually met prior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Oh, and and oh, the fact uh, that a couple of years ago, when white supremacists uh, attempted, like, s- like stormed the area of Charlottesville and attempted to, uh, um, you know, gain credibility for their little posse defending a, a, a pile of bronze in the shape of a racist. Um, <laughs> and then they killed someone with a car. He said, oh, I'm sure there were very fine people on both sides. Yeah. One side was marching through a, the campus of, uh, of the University of Virginia, holding tiki torches, chanting, Jews will not replace us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fine people on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> God. And also during, during the George Floyd protests, I mean, the entire time, like he was... He was calling in the National Guard mm. on peaceful protesters. He yep. was creating a secret police to round up protesters. And he had he had peaceful protesters gassed so that he could go do a photo op in front of a church holding a goddamn Bible. Upside down. <laughs> Upside down. <laughs> he couldn't even get that right. Yeah. Two Corinthians, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I'm not even a Christian, and I know that that's not how you cite the Bible. <laughs> He's like these columns behind me; they're they're in the Bible. It's two Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> two Corinthians walk into a bar. <laughs> you think one of them would have seen it? <laughs> That was more for me than it was for oh, our that listeners. Was that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> mm. and, and of course, we can never forget that just last week, he used his power and influence and his years of stoking uh, ridiculous conspiratorial flames to mount a violent insurrection against the United States of America. And then when he was supposed to get on to tell everybody to be peaceful, he was like, be peaceful. We love you and you're totally right, but be peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> you're very special. <laughs> God. And so I just I just I just so. don't understand how one person can be this fucking horrible. I know. It's like, it's amazing. The last four years has just been a nightmare of constant scandal over and over again. And I cannot believe that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and Donald Trump will not be president. I know. Like. Hallelujah. Goodbye. And fuck you very much. Yeah. So congratulations. The the (laughs) deepest, deepest congratulations. The biggest congratulations of all time. A tremendous congratulations. Bigly, a bigly congratulations 
to Donald J. Trump for being our asshat of my life. And with that, uh, we'll end our episode, um, which will be the last episode we do for a little while. We're going to take a, a couple of weeks off, um, and you know, you'll be without our sage voices for, for a little while, but then we'll be back. Um, we figure that now that Joe Biden is president and is firmly in, in the White House, that uh, it'll be a safe time for us to step away from the mics for a little while and take a little bit of a of respite get a little of recovery in there. Yeah. And hopefully future episodes, because we're going to be focusing less on the horrific mayhem of an incompetent buffoon with his finger mm-hmm. on the, the uh, nuclear launch codes <laughs> that we'll be able to have more policy based discussions on this pod. You know, yeah. I, I want to get back to, I want to get back to railing against Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I want to get back to him being, the per the object of my ire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be a beautiful day. And when we're <laughs> planning to bring more policy deep dives, we're planning to bring more interviews and more experts on the show, um, because we love those episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? Um, my highlight this week is that I have finally finished setting up my classes for the semester, and I I had my first one of my first classes uh, yesterday. And after I finished the class, I was just like, I want more, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like it was a nice long break and it was really, it was really good for me, but it just, it felt really good to get back to work, to get back to teaching because I really do love it. So that's awesome. And of course, and of course the fact that uh, Donald Trump's no longer president. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, it's awesome. to Highlight of my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's great to hear that like getting back to work is so exciting and gratifying for you. That's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so Michael, what's your highlight? Uh, my highlight this week is that my twin brother's album dropped. So Taylor's album dropped on, uh, on Sunday and it's awesome it's really 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 good um i'm super psyched that it's out there super psyched to get to listen to whenever i want and he's having an album release party um <laughs> on friday at 6 30 friday the, the 22nd at 6 30 if you're interested in listening to this music he and uh, the musicians that that recorded it will be doing a virtual um listen through and talk through of, of some of the stories behind the album. So it'll be super fun and I can't wait to see it. And so with that, thank you so much for listening to the perspectrum and you'll hear from us again in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs>